Will you pray with me now? Let's ask the Lord to settle and open our hearts this morning. Father, as we join together for the preaching of the Word of God this morning, both in this room and over in the fellowship hall, we ask and pray that you receive our worship to this point, our voices, our gifts, and Father, now our hearts in opening it up uh, to the Word of God. And so, Father, may the Holy Spirit not only work in individual hearts, but collectively in these rooms, among those who are watching online, may there be this genuine sense that God is here. And may we respond to him as we encounter him now. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Turn with me uh, to the book of Ruth this morning. It is so good to uh, have you folks with us there in the modern service as well as those who are online. We're grateful that you've joined us this morning. If you're a guest here, we, uh, at the second hour, um, have two rooms that are worshiping simultaneously. And then for the preaching of the word, we, we come together for that. And so uh, the book of Ruth, if you're new to Bible study, let me just say this. Um, the book of Ruth is the seventh, I believe, book in the Old Testament. So in the pew rack in front of you in this room, there in the modern worship service, if you need a hard copy of the scriptures, just raise your hand. Our deacons are looking out for you. And so they'll bring you a copy of the scriptures um, digitally. Go ahead and find it there. And Ruth is this amazing story that we began last week, and we're going to continue for the weeks to come. And so Ruth chapter one is where we're going to be this morning. So I urge you to find your place. And uh, uh, I want you to picture uh, in your mind right now where home is. What's your hometown? Where is home? Do you have it? Have a picture in your mind of what it looks like? Hope it's a good place for you. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine leaving home for a decade or more and then returning. Having never seen home never really heard from anyone at home, and then coming back. Now, for some of you, that's a reality. For some of you, you've gone away, you took a job, maybe you went overseas, and you've come back in 10 years or more. Uh, the place is different. The place has totally changed. And what I want you to do is get in the mindset of our main character for this week, and that is the character of Naomi, because this is exactly what happens to her. You know, when you go home after being away, the places change don't they? For instance, um, a few weeks ago, we, on spring break, we took our kids back to Raleigh to see some friends and to see Cherie's brother, who now lives in Raleigh. And uh, that's where we were in seminary for several years. And so when we go back, we like to take the kids, we drag them, but we like to take them to where we used to live and the places we used to eat. We, there's a bagel shop and we, and we would go there and I, I took Emma Grace there and, and I said, this is, this is kind of the taste of, of Raleigh. This is what I was used to for all those years. Those are wonderful, wonderful things. But here's the thing, the bagel place that we love so much, we had to go to a different location because that one had been torn down and be completely wiped out. And here's what we understand, that places change when you go home, right? People change when you go home. Your dad, your mom, they begin to age. Their health isn't as good. Your brothers and your sisters, things in their lives have changed them. Your sons and your daughters, they're different. 
And so people begin to change. Those friends that you had growing up in high school, the friends that you had um, and swore that they would be lifelong companions, you just kind of lost touch. Maybe it's nothing bad. You just, now they're no longer, you're no longer connected. People change. But here's the biggest thing. You change. You change. We all do. And going home can be tough because when we go home, oftentimes we go home knowing what nobody else knows. And that is that we've made mistakes or that we have regrets or failures or there are things tucked away under the radar that embarrass us. And we go back home and we we don't want a big celebration. Instead, we just want to simply make our way and take our place back in our hometown and continue on in life. And this is where Naomi is. This is where we are in our story this morning. In the book of Ruth, where we dropped off is the story of this family. It took place in uh, an interesting time in the life of Israel. There's no king yet. It's kind of like the wild, wild west. There's no king. There's no national ruler. And so every tribe or every local region seems to do whatever it can to fend off the enemies. And It's called the period of the judges. And so God would raise up these military leaders to lead the people over their enemies, but then they would fall back into sin and and the cycle would begin. Sin, and then they'd suffer at the hands of their enemies. God would send a hero. The hero would come. The hero would conquer. They would be relieved. They would thank God. And then they'd go into sin again. And this this is the period of time in which we see this family in Bethlehem, which is just outside Jerusalem, tiny little village, They move away to a foreign nation across the Jordan River, around the Dead Sea, to this longtime nemesis called uh, the nation of Moab. Now, the children of Israel, the people of God, didn't necessarily like the Moabites for different reasons that we talked about last week. But here comes Naomi, our main character, with her husband at that time, Elimelech, and they leave with two sons, And they go across the Jordan into the fields of Moab. And here's what happens. The family completely falls apart physically. Elimelech dies. The two daughters-in-law that uh, the two sons marry, they're left because the two sons die. So Naomi is a widow without the head of the house. Her two sons that would provide for her future, they're now gone. And it's just Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. These three ladies are, after 10 years, they are just left there. And without, in that culture, without a husband, a lot different than today's culture. In that culture, without a husband, without sons, you're stuck. No future. No future anymore. And so Naomi is thinking, I've come to this country. I have these two ladies And I'm paralyzed. That's her life. And that's where some of you are. And that's where we left off last week. Helpless. You're helpless in the situation in which you're in. You don't see any way out. You don't see any way of rescue, any way of deliverance at all from where you are. And we saw a sliver of hope last week in the future that's to come. But this week, watch what happens. This week, there's going to be a return. For those of you who are helpless, those of you who are in despair, those of you in need of great rescue this morning from the situation you're in of redemption, that's the title of our series, there are some signposts that God gives that says, now you're on the road back. 
God speaks to us through his word this morning and says, I'm here. And here's my job this morning is to open up the word of God and have you see that as Naomi and these two girls with a hopeless future begin to return and go back home, there is cause for rejoicing. Because in the situation that you're in, God is there. For the situation that you deem as hopeless, God is there. For the situation that you see there is no way I can humanly work this out and you can't, I want to encourage you this morning that God is there. But it comes with a challenge, comes with a simple challenge at the end. So this morning, here's what we want to do. We want to see the road signs of a return to redemption. What are they? All right. Ruth chapter 1, now that we've set that up, begin in verse 6 with me. We're going to read 6 through 10 this morning and then pick up, the, pick up with a couple of points and continue to make our way all the way through verse 13. So, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, will you stand with me in both rooms this morning? Out of respect and reverence for the Word of God as we dive back into this wonderful, wonderful story. Here's what it says. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, no, no, you go and you return each of you to your mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you too as you have dealt with the dead and with me and may the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband and she kissed him and they lifted up their voices and they wept And they said to her, no, no, we will return with you to your people. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. Roadside roadside number one this morning is simply this, God's action. God's action. You see, the road to return begins not with Naomi having a bright idea, not with Ruth and Orpah being creative with what they could do. In their helplessness, God initiates the action. Where do we get that? Right in the text, verse 6. She gets up to return. Why? For she had heard while she's in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. That word visited, you might want to underscore it. You might want to put it in, in, in a box there. It's a, it's a huge word for the book of Ruth, but it's a huge word in scripture. It's something we just can't kind of gloss over and say, well, here's Naomi, all right? She's over in Moab with the two daughters-in-law, and she gets news. She's just watching the news one evening, and uh, th- there's... Um, There's food over there. Fortunes have changed. 
Let's go back. No, it's more than that. When the author puts that word visited in there, it's a huge word to scripture because it means this. Let me give you, let me give you the definition. Then let me give you the two contexts which are incredibly powerful and incredibly encouraging. Here's what it means. It means simply a divine action that produces a great change in people. A divine action that produces a great change in people. Simple definition, but understand how powerful and encouraging this can be for you and for me. Let's look at the text. Exodus chapter 3 and and Exodus chapter 4. The nation of Israel, or the people of God, they're not even a nation yet. They come to Egypt because of a famine. Jacob sends his boys over there. And God, through supernatural means, has elevated one of the boys, Joseph, to be prime minister. And they come for food. And they stay there for 400 years in Egypt. They begin to grow so much. They're making so many, so many babies over there that they just expl- the population explodes. And the Egyptians begin to use them as slave labor. And they begin to mistreat them. And the nation of Israel, the people of God, begin to cry out and say, God, will you save us? And it says in Exodus chapter 2, I love this passage. I always loved it. It says, and God heard their groaning. And God saw them. And God remembered his covenant to Abraham, to the fathers. And then it says, and God knew. What did he know? It was time to act. And so he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, here's the deal. Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. Moses, I want you to march into Pharaoh and I want you to lead the people out because, Exodus 4, I have visited my people. Here's the thought. Here's the thought, that God hasn't forgotten you. He's simply waiting to act. And when he acts, it will be with such great action that you can't help but move. Here's the second powerful use of this, of this term visits over in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, it's the same root word. The people have been waiting for 400 years for God to speak. He's been silent. No words. Last prophet has spoken. Close it up. Nothing. And they're waiting and waiting and they're waiting. And suddenly God breaks out with a plan to send his son to earth. And John the Baptist is his cousin. And John the Baptist comes first. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he didn't believe what an angel told him about him coming. And so he couldn't speak. And when John the Baptist is born, he suddenly can speak. And guess what he says? He sings this song. He writes the, the, this poetry. It's beautiful. And he says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. He says, now God has, what? Visited his people in order to redeem them. And what Zechariah is saying, after all of these years, God hasn't forgotten us. After all of these, after all of the pain and all of the silence and all of the waiting, God hasn't forgotten us. He has visited. He has been watching. I like what one writer said. He says, this word is stronger than the simple human language gives it to us. A better translation would be this. I have been carefully watching over you and now I am acting. Emphasizing that God had all times, at all times been concerned. He had 
been at all times involved and had not decided just recently to become interested in you and to do something, but all along the way, he's waiting for the exact time for his glory to move on your behalf. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is this. Some of you, as those words came up on the screen of the bumper, failure, regret, the things in your heart right now that you need to be rescued from, the things in which you feel confined, the things for which you just feel helplessly put on the shelf, the things that you suffer in in silence. Here's what I want you to know this morning from our text is that God has not forgotten you. And here's what happens. We kind of think God has this to-do list. And you know what happens on your to-do list is at the top of the list, you put something that is incredibly important. And you know about midday, that slid down to number three or number four. And then by the end of the day, it's down number nine or number 10. And, and then it gets forgotten. This is how some of you think God has acted towards you. And I am here to tell you that God in his sovereignty has not forgotten you. He is intimately looking at you, longing, longing for the right time to move. But are you watching? Are you ready? Will you endure? Will you hang on? Here's the truth this morning. Just hang on knowing that he will one day move at the right time for his glory and for your good. Naomi, she, she hears, God, God has moved. And so now, here's what she does. She begins to move to where's, where God has moved. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. You need to move where, where God is moving this morning. Where is God moving? So secondly, secondly, continue on, verse 7. So she sets out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters, you go back, go return each of you to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal with you, how? Kindly, kindly, as you have dealt with the dead, which I think means her husband, and with her sons, as you have shown great kindness to me and my house. May the Lord show great kindness to you. Here's, here's sign number two this morning. Not only God's action, look for it, remember it, but God's kindness. God's kindness, all right? That word right there, you might want to square it. You might want to underscore it. The word kindly, that's another big word. We just can't run by that word and say, oh, good for or Orpah and good for Ruth. They were good daughters-in-law and they, they cared for Naomi and they just stuck by her. Oh, how sweet and kind. That's, that's wonderful. That is it. But you know what? That word kindness there, may the Lord deal with you kindly as you have dealt with me. Whenever we see it in the Old Testament, it is a Big, big word, because it's more than simple courtesy, it's this. It's an expression of God's heart and devotion to his people. That's what it is. It's this huge word, and we can't just simply wrap our arms around the simple word kindness. Sometimes in the Old Testament, we see that term, and it might be interpreted God's incredible mercy and loyal love and grace. 
But here is the thought that God endures in his devotion to you, and he is not obligated to do it. He is not required to do it. But simply because he loves you, simply because he cares for you, he is going to be devoted to you. Now, this is powerful. That's what that word kindness means. And I don't think Naomi is any theologian here. I don't think she's setting out to, to establish theology. But what she's saying, I think, is through Naomi and, and, and Orpah, I have seen the kindness, the faithful love, the devotion, the duty, the, the surpassing duty. You don't have to do it, but you just lavish this love on me. I've seen that. So may God, in return, send you off to a new future with that kind of kindness. So here this morning, here's what I want you to understand. If you're struggling and if you're suffering this morning, if you're in need of rescue and redemption, God's kindness still extends to you. And it's a love that is incredibly faithful and enduring. And this morning we recognize it most in the person of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, this is where we see God's mercy and grace most for a people, me and you, who are sinners. And we are in desperate need. We're separated from God in desperate need of being brought back to him. And we can't do it. And we are helpless. And we will suffer forever apart from Christ. But God, in his kindness, sends Jesus to die for you and to bring you you back to him through repentance and through faith. It's in the gospel. This is where we see the most kindness. And in this gospel and in this characteristic of God, I encourage you this morning who are struggling and suffering that God is devoted to you. And I want you to see that. And it's not a simple kind of, of love that we just kind of think, oh, that's sweet and that's nice and just shoo it away but we drink it in. I want you to drink in the kindness of God for you. And I want you to reflect that. Here's an application point to reflect that kindness to others who might be suffering. What God has done for us, we are to be a reflection and an expression of that in the lives of other people. Naomi said, as you have done to me, may God do so to you. May there be a reflection of what has happened to me. May it be done now in you. Is this how we live our lives with kindness towards one another? Is this how we treat our wives and our husbands with great enduring devotion and kindness? Is this how we treat the body of Christ with enduring devotion and kindness? It's not short term. It's not, it's not Southern politeness. This is a deep committed type of love that says, if you're suffering, I'm going to hang on with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be there with you, clinging to you with the love that God has shown me. Is this how we respond to one another? Or are the type of kindness that we're used to is so short-lived and so easy to do and so easy to move to the next thing? Let me give you an example. This hit home for me a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago was at a library and I, every now and then I'll, I'll go out of the office and I'll go to a library where I have access to some commentaries and some books and so a great time to study for, for my sermons. So I've been going pretty regularly to this place, getting away to study and I, I, I've met someone there. It's a young man who's in a wheelchair and I don't know what his physical disability is, 
Um, but he, he can't move much at all. He can move his wheelchair. It's motorized with his fingers, and he can do little things, but he's, he's very, very limited. His name is Ben. Ben's a sweet, sweet young man, and I've just kind of, I, I run into him, and he ha- he'll ask me a question every now and then, so I've learned his name, and I, 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 you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, make you think that we have this long, long friendship, but we, a little acquaintance there to the point where one day he surprised me, and he said, he said, um, preacher, I, I don't mean to show disrespect, I'm, I'm just saying this is, uh, this is how sweet he is, and he says, preacher, what you preaching this Sunday? <laughs> and I'll tell him what I'm preaching. And so I'll see him, you know, we'll, we'll pass. Hey, Ben, how you doing? And, and you know, and, and he doesn't talk much. But one day I, w- I was in a hurry. I had, I had to get home, uh, dinner, homework, you know the drill, right? And the clock's ticking. Oh, man, I got to go put my stuff together. I'm running out. And you know that feeling when um, you are in a hurry and you've got to get out, but someone needs you or someone wants something from you. And you know how you try and not uh, make eye contact with them so that you can keep going, right? That's why I, I see Ben and I'm like, uh, oh, okay. All right, Ben needs something. And so I go over there and I say, Ben, I, I, I kind of see you need some help. What's going on? And um, he, had, he had dropped something and he says, could you pick up my straw? <laughs> he has these big, he has these big cups and, and, he, and he has these huge straw and he had dropped one of his straw and he can't, he can't bend down and get it. He, he, he's totally helpless physically. And, um, you know, I'm in a hurry. Absolutely. Ben. Oh, that's all he needed. Right. Okay. So, um, I pick up his straw and I'm thinking, you know, the five second rule, right? Five second rule applies to straws, right? Five second rule is pretty clear. It's universal, right? Less than five. And we all know the five second rule really extends to 35 seconds. So, um, I was like, okay, I'll just pick it up. So I said, all right, here you go, Ben. And he goes, no, would you go rinse it off. It's dirty. <laughs> and I said, okay, got it. Got it. This is going to take more than a quick in and out. So I, I run to the restroom and I wash the straw and I, I bring it back and I put it in and it's so sweet. And he said, thank you. And I, and I was feeling pretty good about myself because I was what? Kind, right? That's not the kind, type of kindness though that God talks about when he is dealing with you in redemption. Because that type of kindness is short-lived. That type of kindness eases my conscience. The type of kindness that is done to Ben is the type of kindness of those nurses that move him in and out of that library. Those librarians that wheel him to a spot and create a space for him to study. That take him and get him over to the bathroom over time. And over time, and over time, and over time. Now listen, that is God's enduring love for you. And some of you are wayward and lost and hurting. And you think God hasn't acted in 400 years. But I'm here to share with you this morning. God is devoted to you, and you can see it most in the cross of Christ, but you see it in the character of God. Huge word. 
kindness. Is that how we express love to one another? Naomi says, I long for that type of kindness for you. And then thirdly, let's read verses 11 through 13, and we'll try and land the plane here this morning. So Naomi says this. They're weeping. The sorority of sisters are just crying. They don't know what to do. And, and, the, and Orpah and Ruth say, nope, nope, nope. We're going. Let's go all the way back to Bethlehem. And Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Why, why, why are you going to follow me back home? For, listen to what she says, I am too old to have a husband. And if I, <clears throat> let me see. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. All right, here's the third sign this morning, and it's this, emptiness. Emptiness. Now, here's what Naomi is saying real quickly. Naomi is saying, turn back, Orpah and Ruth, because she said earlier, I want you to go back to your mother's house. Every time we see this in the scriptures, mother's house, it means love and marriage. It's not often in the scriptures that someone would refer to their mother's house. Instead, they would always say their father's house. The father in that culture takes is the head of the household, right? She says mother's house because what, she impl- what is she implying? Here is your hope, Naomi and Orpah, or Ruth and Orpah. Here's your hope. It is in being married. That's your only hope from this point forward. She repeats it again when they say, no, Naomi, we'll go back to you. She says, hold it, hold it. Think through this. I am too old to have sons. And even if I could have sons, what are you going to do? You're going to wait for them? What what are you going to do? Practically, your hope is in in a husband. Practically, your hope is in a future that sons can give and children can give. I have no hope for you. Therefore, I am empty. I I, I can't help you at all. So I want you to go back. I'm going to go my way. Somehow I'm going to make it. And if you were to come with me, there's no hope in husbands there. They don't like Moabites there. They're, They're people that don't like you. You go back to what is practical. You go back to, to the only place where there can be hope. And I can't offer it to you. And I am completely empty. Do you hear me, girls? You go back. I have nothing for you. And therefore, it says in verse 13, she opens up her heart and she uses a word that expresses where some of you might be. She is bitter. She's bitter. She's empty. She can't can't provide for these girls anymore. And she says, I am bitter because the hand of the Lord is now against me. Now walk this through with me. And I think we'll get to a point where all of us can come to a challenge this morning. All right? Emptiness is a road sign that you're on the way back to redemption. Because here's what emptiness says, like Naomi, you're done. You're completely done. You ever been there? All your pride is gone. All, all your reputation, your, your self-sufficiency, all of your plans you tried to work out, you are empty. 
and you feel depleted. But listen, that is where God steps in when you're empty. Because when we're empty, here's what happens. We can go one of two ways, all right? So emptiness can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It's a good thing if we say we're utterly dependent upon you, God. We, we have nowhere else to turn. We have nowhere else to go. That, that you have, have moved in my life to the point where I have nothing I can do on my own. Will you move? And I'm going to hang on. And I'm going to hang on till you act, until you move. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to be, I'm going to be f- as faithful as I can to you. But it, it's not dependent upon me anymore because I am completely empty. That's a very, very good place to be. Because here's what happens. Your heart is soft. Your heart is soft. There, there, there's not a hard edge to it. Your heart is soft and there's a willingness to say, God, you move and act, and I'll go that way. Here's what happens in, when we're empty. In a good way, God becomes the center. God becomes the center of our lives. We suddenly realize we are no longer it. Right? But emptiness can be a bad thing too. Here's what happens when we're empty. And like Naomi, we can become bitter. Maybe some of you are here this morning. And if human nature is any indication, there's a lot of us who have been bitter. Here's the the bad empty. You ready? Is that we become frustrated. We become frustrated with ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We fail. We, We call ourselves failures over and over and over and over again. And it's just so wired into you. You become so frustrated. You know people like that? You become frustrated with other people because they're not doing what you want them. They're not doing what you want them to do. They're not responding like you want them to respond. And so you become frustrated with with others. You become frustrated with your plans that fail. And you get to the point of being empty, but instead of turning towards dependency upon God, instead you turn towards bitterness. And what happens is when we're empty, we can either say, God, you are the sinner, and from this point forward, soften my heart, and I'll follow you. Or we can say, on the other hand, I'm still the sinner, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I'm mad. And bitter people, here's what bitter people do. Bitter people keep track of the circumstances. Bitter people keep track of the score. Bitter people keep track of names and they recall and they turn it over and over and over again. Maybe it's, it's a wife. Maybe it's a, it's a husband. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's someone that has done you wrong. Maybe it's someone in this church. And your heart over and over again sees their name, sees that event. And there's bitterness there. And you're empty. And you're headed not down the road towards destruction or towards redemption. You're just going to be stuck. And I don't want that for you. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. That when you're empty is an opportunity for God to step in and for you to have a different perspective and for you to understand that God, when he takes you down a path and it seems like his hand is against you, as Naomi said, 
But I want you to understand that God's hand is for you. He is for you. And so often we think that if we are not the two big C's in, our, in, in American evangelical life, in our churches today, here are the two big C's, control and comfort. When we don't get those two things, we get frustrated and we become bitter. But here, here's the thing. God isn't so concerned about your comfort and he's not really concerned about your control because he is sovereign. He is mighty and he is big and he's got plans far bigger than your plans for comfort and your plans for control. He is far, far greater and bigger than that. And he longs to display in you his glory and he longs for you to be satisfied in him completely. But here's what we do. We say, God, God, I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. I'm bitter at you. I'm bitter at them. I'm bitter at the circumstances. God, I'm frustrated. And God says, but hold it, hold it. Here's how I'm working in your life. I don't want to frustrate you. I want you to realize something that I'm testing you. Maybe this is what God does in his sovereignty. He does a couple of things. He, he tests us and he, and he wants to see whether our faith is genuine, as it says in 1 Peter. Sometimes some of you are suffering and sometimes you're going through these things. And God's saying, don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. I'm testing you. Remember over here, I, I want to visit you. Remember, I want to be kind to you. But also understand when you're empty, I'm testing you because I want to see if your faith is real. I, I've chosen you because I'm putting you to a test. Will you, will you endure? Will you endure to the end? Because I want to see if you'll be faithful to me. God has chosen some of you for that. Wow, it's a big test. God, God has chosen some of you to bear injustice and to bear the sins of others and to bear things in your life so that God can use it for a greater good and a greater glory. Think of Joseph. Man, Joseph is this character in the Old Testament where he was completely, uh, he, he was treated so unfairly by his brothers and he was thrown in prison and he was forgotten. If anyone could have said, God, God, I'm, I'm getting bitter. <laughs> you, you promised me way back there that I'd be this leader. And here I am in prison. Here I am getting thrown. And my, my brothers hate me. If anyone could have said, it's unfair, but God, Genesis chapter 50, at the end of the story, Joseph is raised up. His brothers come to him. He forgives them. And he says this, what you meant for evil, God meant for what? For a greater good so that many people could be saved. Some of you this morning, here's what you're going to have to realize. That God has chosen you. God has said to you, here's the deal. I need you to graciously bear the burden of sins in the lives of others. I need you to patiently bear the consequences of sin in other people so that people can see my great grace and my great glory through you. Hang on. That's a big task. But yet we scream, it's not fair. We get bitter. Or maybe this morning God is using where you are as a correcting point. Hebrews says that you need to endure because as a father, he loves his sons and he will correct them. He loves them so much. He doesn't want to see them move in this direction. 
He wants them over here. And as a father loves his son, that he sees down here, son, you can't go that way. You're going to destroy your life. Son, I beg of you. And God sometimes says, here's your correction. And the writer of Hebrews says to those who were suffering, who were ready to quit, the writer of Hebrews says, you endure and endure with rejoicing because your father loves you. Now, where are you this morning? Where are you? Where are you on the scale here? And, and let me close with this. Maybe for some of you, here's the point of, of commitment this morning. Maybe for some of you, it's simply an acknowledgement. It's simply an acknowledgement that God is there. That, that I, I think he's not there, but he is there. Maybe it's an acknowledgement that God is incredibly kind to me through Christ. He has not abandoned me. And so, therefore, how, how can I take this great love and this great mercy and this great grace and just take it for granted and turn away and go, I forget that, and, and I'm frustrated over here? Maybe for some of you it's to open up your heart to realize how much God loves you, that he's devoted to you. But then maybe for some of you, it's confession. Maybe it's the confession, I am empty. And from this time forward, I open up my heart and say, God, I am so dependent upon you that there is no move I can make. I love the phrase in the Psalms where it says, from this time and forevermore. Read it yesterday morning. I love that. Some of you this morning, as we pray in just a second, you need to say, from this time and forevermore, I'm going to quit Spinning in circles, in the circle of frustration, in the circle of bitterness, in the circle of, of thinking that I'm forgotten. And I instead, from this time forward, will see God as incredibly faithful through Christ. And I will cling to him and trust him from this time forward. Some of you this morning, maybe this is the confession point. You, you just need to take the bitterness that you have and you need to shelve it. You, you just, better yet, you just need to throw it out the window. You, you need to take it out in the trash tomorrow morning. Because some of your lives are marked by that. We've all been there. We think we've been treated unfairly by somebody somewhere, by some event somewhere. If only they, if you catch yourself, if only, if you catch yourself with repeating a certain event, you catch yourself repeating a certain name, if only, then you're probably bitter. And God says to us this morning, it's sin. It's sin. Because of what I've done through Christ. If anyone could have been bitter, it's him. And he laid down his life for you. And so maybe this morning your heart just needs to come to him and say, I'm tired of being bitter against my ex. Against my, my husband for what he did back five, ten years ago. My wife, what she did yesterday pastor, what, what he's done, ministers, they, what they do or don't do, and open up your heart to the God who's incredibly gracious through Christ and be changed this morning. It's up to you. It's up to you now. Let's, let's pray together in both rooms. Lord, before we 
raise our voices in a song of commitment. We raise the voices of our heart and say, hear our hearts. Lord, would you deal with your people this morning? For some, may there be this overflow of encouragement of the faithful love of God. There are folks, Father, who are hurting in both rooms and they don't know how they make it day to day. But may this morning they understand that the God who created the universe is the same God who can create in them a new heart. Fill it with great joy. Fill it with great grace and mercy towards those others who they need to show mercy to. For all of us, Lord, create in us new hearts to demonstrate not bitterness, not frustration with you or with our circumstances, but to recognize that we stand solely under the grace of God, under the sovereignty of God that will do as he sees fit and will bring us to great good if only, if only will quiet our hearts, quiet our souls, and abandon them to you. Do that in this body, Lord. Do this in homes. Do this in hearts. For the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen and amen.